Please pray with me. God, you are the light of our lives. You are the spirit by which we see all things. So we pray that your light will cast truth upon our lives as we hear your word for us today. Amen. Matthew 1, 1 to 16. A record of the ancestors of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Aram. Aram was the father of Amminadab. Amminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asaph. Asaph was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Joram. Joram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Amos. Amos was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jeconiah and his brothers. This was at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abued. Abued was the father of Elakim. Elakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Ahim. Ahim was the father of Eluid. Eluid was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Methan. Methan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born and who is called the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, our season of waiting and preparing for the coming Messiah. So our scriptures begin by introducing that Messiah. In the case of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is introduced by listing his famous relatives. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, basically all the heroes of the Jewish people. And today that same sort of introduction might sound just a little bit ostentatious. I'd like you to meet my friend Matt. His relatives came over on the Mayflower. His great-great-uncle, six times removed, is Abraham Lincoln. And his cousin's husband's sister lived with Beyonce's best friend in high school. Like, that wouldn't be cool. We wouldn't say that, at least like in public. But we might tell some of those stories at family gatherings. When I was about 12, I remember my uncles telling me the story of my most famous relative a 17th century knight named Baron, Baron von Rematzi. The story goes that 
that his title of baron is passed down to the eldest living male of each generation. So if my dad can outlive his brothers, I could call myself baron. Now, of course, that means nothing. I don't even know if that story's true. But, but my lineage might mean something if everyone were waiting from a, for a liberator descended from the Baron von Rimanazzi, which actually is exactly what's happening in Matthew. The people of Israel are waiting for a Messiah to overthrow the Roman occupiers, and they know that this conquering hero will come from the house of David. So the first thing that Matthew does is inter to introduce the Messiah is tell everyone that his royal lineage is of the house of David. But there's something interesting in this genealogy, in this list of names. Women. This list of 44 people includes four women. And these are not just any women. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. These are women with the kind of stories that we don't tell in public. Tamar was a young widow. After her husband dies, Tamar's father-in-law won't care for her like the law requires. She's completely vulnerable with no legal protection, so she plays the only card she's got. She disguises herself as a prostitute so that her father-in-law will impregnate her. But she also asks for his personal seal as collateral for payment. So when the truth comes out that she's pregnant, she shows her father-in-law the seal, and instead of killing her, he admits that she is the righteous one, and he is not. Then we have Rahab, a foreign prostitute in enemy territory. When Hebrew spies scope out Jericho for an invasion, uh, she hides them and protects them. She makes them promise to protect her family before letting the spies escape from her window by climbing down a rope. And when the Israelites eventually conquer Jericho, she and her family are saved. Then, of course, we've got Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite, which is the most hated foreigner group of the Israelites. And after her husband dies, she refuses to leave her mother-in-law, who is an Israelite, and instead travels from Moab to Israel, even though that makes her an immigrant, will have to survive off the scraps of farmers. But through scheming and seduction, she marries a wealthy local and secures a future for her family and her mother-in-law. And then lastly, we have Bathsheba. She isn't actually named. She's called the wife of Uriah, which is the point. She's married when King David sees her bathing. David then commands her to have sex with him, and she gets pregnant. David tries to trick her into sleeping with her husband to hide his sexual assault, but when he can't, he has her husband Uriah killed. But 
Bathsheba refuses to be a to remain a victim and forces King David to name her son Solomon as heir to the throne. Like these are the four women listed in the genealogy. These are Jesus' grandmothers. Now, he has other grandmothers too, like Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel, but they aren't named, which is curious. Why include four women that were surrounded by scandal? Well, maybe it's because this is an introduction to Jesus, who hung out with sex workers and folks embroiled in scandal. This is an introduction to the Messiah who embraced those society rejected, who declared that every person is a part of the human family. And when that's who the Messiah is, it's, it's vital to name these women, in part because of our human tendency to, to hide things that we fear will bring us shame. I mean, and I know that tendency because it's the story of my family. When I was in my 20s, I learned the story of my great-grandmother. I don't actually know her name. All I know is that she was living on the street in Milwaukee when she gave birth to my grandpa. She realized that her son might not survive the streets, so she took him to an orphanage from which he was adopted by a kindly Midwest couple. And I didn't know that. I didn't hear that story till I was in my 20s. My grandfather never mentioned it. He was actually in his 70s before he told his children he was adopted or that he lived in an orphanage or that he was born on the street. And now, I don't know why he never told his kids. <laughs> I mean, uh, he didn't talk much. He was a, he was a family, uh, factory repairman in Michigan. Not, not exactly the chatty type. But still, his own kids didn't know. A and that makes me wonder what, what shame he carried or what our world told him about his birthmark. I just imagine that his little town and his little Baptist church might not have seen her in the most gracious light. I imagine that it was just not the type of thing that people talked about. I imagine it was easier to just let that detail remain hidden. But something happens to us when we don't tell all of the chapters of our lives when we feel like we need to present a certain image to the world, when we omit a certain parts of our story, we, you know, we don't mention our brother in prison or the way we treated women when we were young or those bad habits that feel like they should have gone away by now, but haven't. So instead we present a pretty picture of who we are. But deep down, we know that's not us, not, not really us. We're, we're way messier than that. And the longer we keep up the facade, the more it can feel like 
we're supposed to be that image we present to the world that that that's the person who's worthy of the love and respect that we long for. And it's really tough to believe that that God loves every part of us right now as we are when we struggle to love every part of us right now. When we hide those things we believe are shameful, the world misses out. I mean, I didn't, I didn't learn about my grandfather until I was adult, and her, her story changed me for the better. It, it made it easier to see myself in someone who's experiencing homelessness. Like I think about my great-grandmother when I chat with people at the breakfast on Sunday morning. And, and, and now I feel no shame whatsoever when I think of her. I feel pride. She was resilient and she possessed a self-giving love that was so powerful that it kind of makes me quake to think about. A parent who gives up a child because they know they can't care for them that's the most Christ-like picture of sacrificial love I can conjure up. And when we see that in Jesus' grandmothers too, like in these women, we find sacrificial love as they proactively do whatever it takes to secure their safety and their family's safety. They're survivors who are loyal and perceptive and crafty and brave. Uh, Meister Eckhart said, we are all meant to be mothers of God, for God is always needing to be born. I, I love that idea. And I sort of love that I think these women knew it before Eckhart wrote it down. They used their only source of power to bear Christ. Uh, and our, we might omit them from Sunday school. Our commentaries might call them scandalous or sinful, but I ain't down with that. They are heroines, like my great-grandmother is to me. They are the women that Matthew includes when introducing Jesus. And, and there are just so many lives of our chapter, so many chapters of our lives that never get told. Chapters of our own lives and chapters in the lives of that that list of royal names, chapters of survival and courage and self-giving love, chapters that tell the whole story, chapters that help prepare us for the arrival of Christ, because this will be a Messiah who loves and embraces every chapter of our life. A Messiah who is proud to be introduced by his grandmothers. A Messiah whose dearest friends were women who 
had their own stories of survival and courage and self-giving love. A Messiah who wasn't shocked by the worst someone could do and whose favorite thing to say seemed to be, your sins are forgiven. This is a Messiah who loves every chapter of our lives and every aspect of who we are. So we take this Advent season to wait, to prepare, to remember Jesus' grandmothers, and to gain the courage to tell all the chapters of our lives. Because Christ is born from all of it. Advent is the season to look back at that history and then from that foundation, look ahead and ask ourselves, what is waiting to be born in our lives? <laughs>